0: Hello! Choose Trust is our regular podcast looking at how to build high trust relationships in business and the value that brings to everyone involved. I'm Stuart Maester and together with my co-presenter Kevin Vaughan Smith we're writing a book for Economist Books with the same name, Choose Trust. So we thought we'd meet and interview leaders who put some of these principles into practice and hear their real-world experiences of doing so, and the value that brought. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please subscribe, and of course, please do share it. Okay, welcome to the Choose Trust podcast. Uh, Featuring myself, Stuart Meister, the Joint Managing Director
1: of Mutual Value, and Kevin Vaughn-Smith, the Joint Managing Director of Mutual Value. So we're, we're here today with a really
0: special guest because it's 22 years, would you believe, since the publication of a book which defined a term that became the aspiration for many professional service firms. That book was called The Trusted Advisor. Now, it was written by my cousin, David Meister, and some colleagues of his, one of whom we're delighted to say is with us today. Now, Charlie Green has taken that concept, the trust advisor, and run with it, leading his own firm of consultants and trainers uh, uh, with the same name, the trust advisor, using the trust equation set out in the book as a base of work with many different leaders and firms this century. So, Charlie, firstly, welcome and thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Charlie, can we start? We're going to talk a lot about trust in different contexts, particularly in terms of trust, the way you build trust with clients, customers, what that means, what it looks like in practice, and we're going to talk about But let's start by defining trust as you see it. What what is trust?
2: And uh, that's a great way to begin because it's such a fuzzy word. There's so much fog sculpting stuff written about it. I think it's very useful to start with a practical, pragmatic way of how do you define it? And and I would make you know a distinction between three ways we use the word. There's the word trust itself, which is a noun. There's trusting or to trust, which is the verb to trust somebody else. And there is to be trusted or trustworthy, which is kind of an adjective. And the way I think of it is, a relationship of trust is a bilateral relationship between two parties, whether it's two people or a person and a, and a company, in which the trust, there's a trustor and a trustee, the person who trusts the other and the person who is trusted. And when those two people connect in a way such that you know they can trust each other, uh, the level of trust goes up between those two. Uh, so there's you know, a, a trustor and a trustee interact, one person trusts the other. The other one proves itself to be trustworthy and as that progresses you get more and more trust and you can apply that simple concept to you know people or relationships with companies or institutions whatever
0: i i I don't know any person uh,
2: or organization,
0: particularly let's talk about people who are selling, who are leading, who are collaborating, who doesn't want to be trusted and doesn't believe themselves to be trustworthy. They're, they're yeah. good people, right? Yeah. So what's the difference between that, being a good guy, if you like, and being right. someone who is consciously going out to be trusted? And, and secondly, allied to that, what value does that create? What difference does it make?
2: Wow, yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, the, the differences um, between just a good guy and somebody who really is trusted uh, is a whole number of things. I think the, uh, uh, the trust equation that you referenced is a good way into that. You, you can look at sort of four variables. That person is credible, they're reliable, they're, you feel safe talking to them. We use the term intimacy to describe that, but it's basically safety. they have a low level of what i would call self-orientation they're good at paying attention to the other person they're not wrapped up in their own neurotic self-obsessed you know not everything is about them so that when you talk to them when you interact with them you feel like they're they're focused on you so those four factors i think is a good way to describe you know what it's like to be trustworthy and you can go much deeper into any of them truth telling for example under credibility it's pretty important tell the truth uh track record obviously um the, the mixture of those two we often hear the phrase over promise and under i'm uh, sorry under, under promise and over deliver well i would argue uh, if your motto is under promise and over deliver you're a liar twice over you lied <laughs> the first time when you told people to you know you're, you're going to do something less than what you intended to do and you lied the second time when you didn't do what you had said you would do so don't do that. Instead, tell people exactly what you intend to do and then do exactly what you said you would do. Um, and, and we can go on with dozens of examples of uh, the most powerful stuff, by the way, it turns out to be the softer components, the intimacy and the self-orientation. Those actually have a bigger impact on creating trust than the usual suspect of credible and reliable.
0: That's interesting. What about value creation? What What difference does it make what it, it, between being in a good commercial relationship and being in a trusted relationship what difference does that make
2: um there's a i, I mean let's let's list them out here if 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 a if, if, let's take a client uh professional relationship just as an example if i have a client and that client trusts me they are more likely to share information with me than if it's just a you know a run of the mill transactional business relationship they're more likely to open up to me. They're more likely to be candid with me. The whatever agreements I have with them are likely to be stronger because there's a handshake and a firm look in the eye beneath the legal document that may represent our, our relationship. Um, people are more likely to refer you to their you know their friends, their colleagues, et cetera. They're more likely to introduce you to other opportunities within the firm um you know your life is just easier on a, on a simple basic level working with people that trust you is a lot nicer than working with people that don't trust you uh and uh it means that the cost of doing business is reduced it means that the cost of new customer acquisition is reduced which means your margins are higher uh people have more free time uh your profitability goes up i could go on and on, and on. yeah there's a Yeah, few. kevin do you want to come in on that
1: yeah, so I, so Charlie, you've you've laid that out very clearly, and and you know your book has a lot of really good examples, and right. you would think, well, this becomes obvious. More and more people should just be doing this, and perhaps they are. But what do you think stops people adopting those great behaviors uh, and getting those results?
2: Uh, it's a great question, and, and my answer is very simple: it's fear. It's a human condition, and the things that stop us from telling the truth are being afraid that if i tell the truth you know they're going to find me out or they're going to find a chink in my armor or i will say something wrong and i'll be caught out for it so the default human response very often to situations of perceived threat are to fuzz it up and uh, you know uh, fake it till you make it push on through keep talking uh, until they stop asking those difficult questions uh, I'll give a quick anecdote from early in, in my career, which is, which is in the book, but uh, at the risk of repetition, uh, I was in a sales meeting, my first big sales meeting, my boss had come along to observe. And at one point after the coffee and business cards exchange, the client said to me, Mr. Green, what experience do you have doing blah, 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 whatever it was? And the truth is I had no experience whatsoever in this area. but I obviously knew you weren't supposed to say that. So I'm mentally thinking, how do I tap dance and answer this question? And my boss leaned in immediately. And and again, the question was, what experience do you have doing this? And he said, none that I can think of. What else do you want to talk about? (laughs) It has never dawned on me that telling the truth might be a powerful, uh, first of all, it was the right thing to do. If the client really needed that attribute, we didn't have it. I mean, let's be clear about it. But more importantly, I think what my boss demonstrated in that moment was I'm not afraid to answer your question. We don't have any in that area. What else do you want to talk about? And, and the effect on the client was was evident. It was written on his face. He immediately said, well, actually, nobody has that. You know, what else did you got that might be useful? And then suddenly everything's changed 180 degrees. Why? Because he told the truth. Why don't people tell the truth? Because they're afraid. Um, so I, I really think, and, and this is where we get into trusting, how do you trust somebody? Well, that's essentially risk management. How do you take a risk? Because to trust somebody is to risk something. And if you're congenitally risk averse, for example, I work with a lot of big four accounting firms, as you can imagine, the DNA of an accountant is largely risk averse. So they're hesitant in social situations, You know, the stereotypes are somewhat true and how do you work with them to get them better at taking risks in interpersonal situations to overcome that natural fear and to become more
1: transparent
2: and, and, and
1: open. Sorry, so that, that, that's really helpful. Um, how much, one of the things that, that we emphasize is having a, a real clarity about the ambition of the firm or the relationship or the partnership. i, I give you an example of uh, what we saw and would be interested in your comments. One uh, leadership team said, this is where we're trying to get to. And here's the values we want to apply and trust was one of them. But the interesting thing was the caveat was unless commercial oppressors apply, (laughs) how do you feel about, how do you feel about that as a. I think it sounds
2: like a gigantic, uh, legal loophole. (laughs) I I would not trust that person. (laughs) If anything was said, I wouldn't trust that. You know, if commercial considerations apply is gonna obliterate everything before I said about trust and forget it, that's not trust. That's my reaction, if I understood you right.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, this business of clarity, Charlie, is something that we talk a lot about. And I'm interested in your reflections on this because for us, one of the foundation stones of a trusting relationship is clarity between the parties. And the reason for that is that if I do a brilliant job for you, it's a really fantastic piece of work, but it wasn't right. what you expected because we weren't really, really clear, or maybe the fees weren't what you expected because we weren't really, really clear, whatever. There's lack of clarity. Right. What happens is you're not happy. And as a result, you don't trust me as much next time because I didn't quite get it right. In your view, I may—I could argue—I did exactly what you asked me for, but that's no good, right? So, yeah. having alignment of ambition, clarity between parties for us is the foundation of trust relationship. I'd love to get your reflection on that and any any experience you've got in that area, or any stories that have emerged in the many years you've done consulting this area that that maybe illustrate that point.
2: Well, I I think I agree. I'm not, I'm not sure we agree on how fundamental it is, but it's pretty strong. Yeah, well, what I hear in that is, and I'll try and think of a simple example. Is the more you share your thoughts, and the more the other person shares their thoughts and their intents and what's behind everything, the better things are. I would I would use the term transparency to describe a lot of that. You know, a simple technique that people are taught in um, in, in lots of institutes. When you have a meeting, always have an agenda prepared and you present that agenda at the beginning of the meeting to say here's what I thought we would cover how' does it look to you so first of all you're sharing your thoughts second of all you're saying this is collaborative we're in this together I want you to put your thumbprints right now your fingerprints on this meeting agenda so we can together go forward and there's an implicit statement says that if we change the agenda halfway through each of us has the right to say hey I think we're changing the agenda you okay with that and you recontract. So I think that's going to the same thing you're talking about the clarity idea. Yes, it is. It is
0: very much because a, 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 an approach, something we talk a lot about, but it's exactly what you're saying, Charlie, is co-creation. So you co, yeah. you co-create value. One of the, one of the fundamental ideas that I think is so important in this area is that that you that no business-to-business supplier creates value for a client. None. They have to create it with the client because there's always yeah. some interdependency in the value. Even if I'm delivering a photocopier to you, I need you to be there when you say you're going to be there. I mean, it's just right. a, even at the most basic level. Uh, but if i'm delivering a service to you i'm going to rely on we're going to create decisions together i'm going to bring it with options you're going to decide i'm going to advise we're going to create value together there has to be a relationship of trust for us to do that yes and we
2: in my own firm we developed a a list of four what we call trust values or trust principles if you will and one of them is collaboration and and it goes to the idea that if you're in a trust relationship, never think that one of you is, is client and one is provider, that one is master and one is slave, that one is boss and one is subordinate. It's got to be collaborative. You're, you are uh, uh, you know, um, uh, metaphorically sitting on the same side of the table, never on opposite sides of the table. So collaboration, you know, it's I agree, key. Well, well, that takes me, if I may, to
0: one other idea, which I'd like to discuss with you, which goes to the heart of the trusted advisor as a an, as an idea, and I wonder whether uh, being a trust advisor now in that space puts you slightly on 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 the side as it were outside of the team you're advising the team rather than being on the team whereas being a partner puts you on the team. do you think yeah. there's a distinction there or not or do you think that's just pedantics?
2: no i think that you know to be an effective advisor you can't be seen that way you have to be seen as an integral partner uh and you know both of you can acknowledge you may have some expertise some domain expertise uh, or you may occasionally draw on some longer experience but the underlying attitude toward the relationship has to be, we're equal parties here, where each of us bring in different things to the party and, and the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts because of that, not because somebody is an outside expert and an advisor, and that's a, a role that will always remain driving the relationship. I I think we're probably in agreement there that the collaborative aspect drives. And
0: and yet, there's one, I'll let I'll, I'll Kevin in a second, but I just want to follow that up because i wonder if you share your experience of whether even the biggest accountancy and law firms behave in that way because we've observed that even the very biggest firms sometimes behave as in a as if they're in a kind of master slave relationship with oh, the absolutely. client' is always right what how do you go overcome that with them what what do you do
2: yeah well it's um uh yeah i mean in a way that's that's all of what we do is getting people to you know get down off this distant formal structured relationship and down to you know how do two people get along when you are in institutionally different roles uh, you know how do you do it I, for one thing you know in the advisory relationships that you're talking about the advisors often forget that the clients are a little bit afraid You know, you're this big law firm or accounting firm, and you've got all these experts and they're paid all this money and you're paying them a huge amount by the hour. And and they know more than you do about this area. I mean, a reaction of a client is to sort of sit back and and protect themselves from the onslaught of this money grabbing law firm that they might be facing. And the idea is to break that down you know and and be early to to demonstrate a personal connection show some vulnerability or yourself, yourself be willing to admit you have feet of clay just like they do we all get up in the morning pull our pants on two legs at a time and uh you know get get rid of that formal structured relationship rubric that hangs over everybody
0: yeah and by the way i can only do one leg at a time personally but hey ho
1: <laughs> me too <laughs> <laughs> kevin kevin over yeah. to you yeah. Yeah, I wondered if I could go back to this this idea of clarity and shared shared ambition. I mean, you mentioned the agenda, and I think it's a sad reflection of how many meetings uh, I've been at where it starts with somebody saying, "What are we trying to do today?" Yeah, and uh, you know, not a lot of thoughts on it. But what what I see is that that does it just doesn't stop at agendas. It stops. What is the objective for this relationship? What is this firm about? What is this part of the firm about? And it seems that we'll have a, a set piece meeting, but there's a lot more effort from leaders that required to maintain and build trust internally and externally. Is, is How would you reflect on that, Charlie?
2: Well, it's there is a lot more effort than just, you know, mechanical rules. Um, I, I think it's, um, let, me, let me make a distinction here. Uh, Oftentimes, people in change management talk about, well, how do we become a trusted organization? Or what are the values that we want to put out that explain to people how we think about it? And and I think that's that's a bit of a misspeak. You don't build an organization that's trusted. You build an organization that encourages trust-based relationships between people, some of whom are internal, some of whom are external. So you, you try to engineer an environment. It's not the environment itself. It's what the environment does to the people within it. Uh, Google, about five years ago, did a massive study, like only Google can do. Um, what are the components of a successful team? And they they crunched all the numbers and ran all these studies and did all the AI stuff. And they came up with a blindingly obvious answer. The most effective teams are those in which people feel safe and secure interacting with each other. Uh, New York Times did an article on it and they had a lovely quote from some person on the study from Google who said basically, Hey, I spend more than half my waking life here at Google. All my friends are here, you know, my daily routine is here. My life revolves around my work. In many cases, that is my life. And if I can't trust the people that I'm with and feel safe and secure in all my interactions with them, I don't even have a life, do I? And I thought right on you know that's that's well said. it goes to you know the key of of creating an environment in which individuals can interact with each other in a trust-based way it has very little to do with how people perceive the reputation of the institution i think the mistake people make is trying to uh, create institutional statements which really don't it doesn't go the next step to say well what does that mean about how i interact with you uh
1: that's the end state that you need to get to so, so uh, there's a leadership role there, isn't there? To yeah. you know, not just not just create it. And what we're experiencing it it it's a, it takes more effort than many leaders are prepared to put in to keep to keep people working in a trusted trust based trust based relationship. And, yeah. and we see that, that they'll give up under any kind of pressure.
2: Yeah, I th- I see the same. Um, I can't think of a single Fortune 500 company that I would describe. As fully trust-based, uh, I know lots of companies that have pockets within them that are heavily what I would call trust-based. They do a good job at this. I can think of a few small firms that are totally, you know, driven by that kind of principle, but for the most part, big companies are dominated by other themes, and not just you know shareholder value and quarterly results, but you know the issue du jour, which may be teamwork or it may be visioning i mean there's lots of corporate mantras out there and people get distracted uh so i i think there are two things that a leader can do to create an environment that creates trust-based relationship one of them is to live the values uh or the virtues of a personal of a person who is trusted which i go back again to that trust equation credible reliable intimate low (laughs) self-orientation The other one is to aggressively lead and articulate whenever opportunity presents itself. What I would call trust values, institutional values. Uh, collaboration is one. Transparency is another. Um, uh, Risk taking, you know. And and uh, I'll give a quick anecdote. Uh, I was in the audience once watching the head of um, Accenture. Uh, addressing his top 50 people in the world for some world meeting and they let me in the room i was next on the platform they let me in to see the end of his section they didn't let me in to see the whole thing but it was about he was announcing some global program rollout leadership program and i was there for the q a and one guy raised his hand and uh said mr green it, it, the same name as me no relation um and he said, you know, have we yet lined up for this new rollout? Have we yet lined up the incentives with the action so that if my friend from Germany here calls me, I'm incentive to support him in this new effort. And Bill Green got up and I've, I've, he was visibly angry. And he walked to the front of the stage and he said, I never want to hear that question again from this group. If there's ever a conflict between our incentives and doing the right thing, you do the right thing and fix the incentives later. Am I clear? Well, 50 people in the room got very clear about what the boss meant. And what, in my terminology, what he did was to seize an opportunity, an innocuous question, to reinforce a fundamental value, which is we do the right thing first and fix the incentive later. We do it because We do it for the right motives. He seized the opportunity, he didn't shy away from it. He had in mind what some of the core values were and he jumped on it. And I think that's a very key role of a leader. I think it's
0: really interesting. The, the the slight challenge I've got with some of things like that is what do the right thing means in in that kind of context. I don't want to just you know drill down on that, but it 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 feels strongly to me that warm words can still be highly ambiguous. So yes. someone might listen to that and say, okay, I'm going to do the right thing by our firm. Whether or not I'm personally incentivized, that may not be do the right thing by the client or do the right thing by the world or the planet. But I'm going to do the right thing by it. That's one interpretation of that sort of. Yeah. And I, and I just wonder what what you said though, which I think is is interesting. Is is you know it's kind of show not not tell, isn't it? It's yeah. it's whatever words I use. How do I behave? What do I care about? What as a leader yeah. do I? But but then you you said. Virtually no firm has this across the firm. And then is that because leaders of entire firms, not perhaps leaders of business units or individual teams, face different pressures that make building trust, it it cannot be a fundamental real value they really believe because there's too much Mm -hmm. else they have to do? What's, What's your thought on that?
2: I, my thought, and it's just my thought, you know, I have no more credentials than anybody else on this, but I did, you know, go to Harvard Business School. I know a lot of these kinds of people. I think they just, uh, it's a failure of leadership. There's no reason that a right-thinking CEO of a big company couldn't or shouldn't drive further and harder towards trust than they do and and i think if they get overwhelmed by the daily language and challenges of business and they get sidetracked by the latest shiny object and they don't put the trust stuff as far front as they could or should my opinion you know so go back just to go back for a second Stuart, to your question about doing the right thing and the ambiguity there uh it's a a former chairman of goldman sachs some 20 30 years ago he had i think the ultimate answer that he said we are long-term selfish meaning our guiding star is we always do the right thing for the customer and if we do that we believe equally strongly we will benefit as well if we become known and practice is always doing the right thing to the customer don't worry we'll be fine you know that's why he called himself long-term selfish so in that sense when somebody like bill green gets up and says do the right thing you know, and fix the incentives later, I hear him channeling that same kind of mantra, which is a pretty good mantra, do the right thing for the customer and everything will take care of itself. One, of the, um, one, yeah.
1: huh. one of the things you said was that you you were aware of smaller firms that were trust-oriented yeah. in a relationship. I'd love to hear any uh, examples, Charlie, of, of what they look like and what the allows uh, what that allows them to achieve
2: yeah well the the one i had in mind a little savings bank called bangor savings bank in bangor the state of maine they're a regional bank they're extremely successful they've been around a long time make a lot of money very integral and i think what they do right is the top leadership of that firm uh, they all believe this stuff they constantly talk about it they communicate about it they use certain terms of phrase that have become meaningful to people they seize opportunities to demonstrate it. They just talk all the time about how important their customers are to them, how collaborative they are as a team. They, they talk the talk and walk the walk all the time. And it just, it becomes part of the culture. Uh, you know, Take an internal example. There's a, there used to be a group within Microsoft of 100, 200 people, I forget, relatively small team It was run by a guy who really understood the dynamics of trust. And he was in several different kinds of businesses, but he ran it based on principles of trust. And his metrics, you can imagine Microsoft is a very metrics driven company. And he was just blowing the socks off uh, this thing. Low uh, turnover, employee turnover, high demand to get into the team high efficiency ratios, all the stuff they were doing great. And he told me, he said at one point the CEO's office reached down and said, hey, you guys are doing great. What is it you're doing? And he answered, trust. And they said, no, seriously, what are you doing? Really? Because these numbers have really, they didn't believe him. Um, I, I think that just the milieu, the, uh, the very behavioralist metrics driven approach to business that's dominant in the West, in the last you know several decades, uh, leads us away from quote, soft sounding things like trust, it, it leads those people not to take it very seriously. And they should.
0: What is interesting about that example is, and I think this gets to the heart of the conversation actually, Charlie, in my view, is this, is trust itself the objective in these kinds of relationships? So if it is, then profit revenue is an outcome. And is trust as it were the means to the outcome so is tr- is trust in other words simply a way we do things or is it actually the objective to be trusted and then and then tr- and then trust to, to use the word that all else flows from that what's your view on that
2: well it's a good question and my answer is um, uh, trust is not the goal um uh, the, the goal to my mind is always you know help the other person help the client help the customer help your fellow employee help everybody you you know run across if that's your motive and all your behaviors flow from that good motive you know you will be trusted and trust will be a great vehicle once you start saying my goal is to be trusted suddenly that's all about you well you know what if you do something that makes you look less trusted but it's right for the client should you do that yes you should do that in my book What I really like about what you said, though, is that switching of priorities, for example, in the field of sales, which I find absolutely fascinating for trust, the whole sales relationship, the way it's presented in sales training programs, books, is always us versus them. How do I get the customer to buy from me? And the goal is to get the sale. I mean, most programs will be very overt about that. Of course, the goal is to get the sale. What else would it be? Well, what else it would be would be to help the customer. And if you help the customer, if that's your goal, then the sale itself is a byproduct, an output, a secondary generator. And if you think about the goal of selling in that way, how do I help the customer? And occasionally I'll get a sale, and occasionally I won't, don't worry about it. Because to go back to long-term selfish, if I'm always trying to do the right thing by the customer, I'll get more than my share of sales, thank you very much. So the subordination of goalhood uh, of of getting the sale, the subordination to help the customer creates great trust, which also creates sales. But it, it's a byproduct. Trust is not the goal; it's a vehicle.
0: But maybe maybe I framed it wrongly. I, 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 that's really helpful, actually, what you just said there, because Wait, we may be in violent uh, agreement. Yeah, we were a total violent agreement. But it, this is such a, you know sometimes these. these these semantics make a difference maybe the yeah. the, the goal is that is it which is a real thing as it were is the trusted relationship so yeah. it's not okay. just to be trusted. You're right. You're quite right. It's not just to be trusted, which in itself might be a selfish thing. I want you to trust me so that I can sell you more, right? Uh, you know, right. actually, but what I want is a an outcome, is a trusted yeah. relationship. And that relationship has real value because it creates value. For both um, for both parties, uh, by the way. but both parties, exactly right. And we, we're called mutual values, you know, for exactly right. that reason. And and um, and and by the way, the other dimension to this, which we haven't talked about is not only that I, you should trust me, but I should trust you because we're going to, even yeah. if you're the guy with the money and I'm the person providing a service, we're exchanging value. If I'm investing yeah. time in you as a customer, I want to trust that when you say, you know, you do this well, there's other work or when I'm, you do this and I need to do that, I will do it. If you don't do any of that, I might be, I might not make, you know, I might lose margin. I might lose money on this on this deal. Absolutely,
2: I, one of my I, yeah. Go
0: ahead. Sorry. Well, no, it's just that it's that the trust flow, trust, real trusted relationship means trust flows both ways. It's not simply I am trusted by you in order Correct. to sell to you.
2: And and to go back to my original distinction, the trustor and the trustee. The thing about trust is, if you have to switch roles. You can't always be just trusted. Sometimes you have to be the one doing the trusting. One of my uh, senior clients at Ernst and Young has a great story. Years ago, he uh, he had a really good client relationship going, and some big sale came up, and they lost it, and he was shocked. He thought I had this in the bag. You know, we, we have this great. Relationship. He called up the client, and he said, "Why? I don't get it. You know, <laughs> we're doing great. How come we didn't get this job?" And the client said, "Well, listen, we do trust you to have the best people and the smartest people, and to be really fair in your pricing and all this stuff." And, we trust you to do so many things that we we trust you. You know, often more than our own people. And then I start to get nervous because I'm not sure I'm not sure if I really do trust you that much. Uh, and what he was saying in my terminology is, you know, I it's not enough that I trust you. You got to trust me on occasion. I can't be the one taking the risk all the time. So for you know to go back to trusted advisors, you can't just be trustworthy. You've also got to be good at trusting. One of the things we try and do is to help people find opportunities to, to trust their clients and, and set up situations where you can demonstrate that back and forth capability.
0: Charlie, that's great. Kevin, any final thoughts or
1: questions from you before we, 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 we no, wrap I, up? I, I really appreciate Charlie's time and his input. I think, uh, it's been a fascinating conversation and, uh, I think if we can get people to realize as you outlined the, um, the value, of achieving trustworthy relationships. Uh and uh, then they put the effort into it. Uh, we can move this idea, continue to move this idea forward in the way that you've you've helped for so many years, Charlie. Great. Well, it's
2: been a pleasure hanging out with you guys. Thank you so you, much for having me.
0: Well, it's a real pleasure, Charlie. If I may say too that um you you and and your colleagues and obviously David were are really people that I think have it's established trust as a fundamental business idea that needs to be consciously developed. Of course, everyone's always wanted to be trusted. Of course, reputation and culture. These are all critical things. They're not new by any means. But the idea of conscious design of a trusting relationship, I think, is the trust advisor is undoubtedly a landmark book. And the work you've done ever since then clearly has taken that to new levels. So we're, okay. we're so grateful for your time. And um we look forward to your thoughts on the book that we're writing now. Uh, Wonderful. And Can't wait us. To see it.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. And uh, thank you so much for your collaboration.
2: All right. Awesome. Take care, guys. Pre- Cheerio.